Thanks for tuning in to the Harvest Springs podcast. Every week we will provide you with the weekend message from our Sunday services. In this episode, the kingdom value of mourning. For the past few months, we've been exploring how Jesus taught and revealed the kingdom of God and how the church is the expression of the kingdom now. Last week, we started unpacking the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, specifically looking at the Beatitudes. In this message, Pastor Michael examines the second Beatitude, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourning is an expression of sadness as a result of a circumstance or an affliction that we often feel is unfair or unjust. Mourning arises because we experience that things are not right in the world. Mourning causes internal tension, but we may not have a way to express our mourning. Let's be honest, all of us are mourning the loss of something this year because of COVID. But just as this pandemic will end one day, so too our mourning will end one day when Jesus returns. So, here's Pastor Michael Stambaugh to help us understand mourning and how God blesses us when we mourn. It's really good to see all of you. If you're joining us online, we also want to say welcome as Joe did. If you're at home watching us or participating in worship, I encourage you this morning we're going to celebrate communion and we're going to remember the death of Jesus. And here at our building, we have these, um, I don't even know what you call these little things, but they have juice and they have bread in them. But if you're at home joining us, I encourage you to grab some juice or any type of liquid and some crackers or some bread. We're going to do this at the very end of the service. For those of you who are here, just a word of warning. In the first service, I struggled to get this open. And uh, so there are two tabs. There's a purple clear tab for the bread that you pull off, and there's a foil tab for the juice that you pull off. So when we take communion, I don't want you to struggle to get this out. But if you need one of these, they're out in the, out in the lobby right when you came in. Uh, we encourage you, if you've made allegiance to Jesus as King, as Lord and Savior in your life, we celebrate this to remember the death of Jesus, and we're going to do that in just a little bit. But before we get there, if you've been around the past couple months, we have been in a series called The Kingdom. And Pastor Corey has been preaching this series, our lead pastor, and he asked me to take these last two weeks. So I'll be preaching this week and next week. And then on December 6th, we're going to start our Christmas series around The King is Here. And uh, so we'll move in that direction. Uh, but Pastor Corey asked me to preach today and next Sunday on the Beatitudes. And uh, my name is Michael. I serve as a discipleship pastor here. And I'll be real honest with you. When he asked me to preach on Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, and Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 next week to continue this idea of values in the kingdom that Jesus sets out in the Sermon on the Mount, I wasn't that excited. And I'm just going to lay that out there right now. Uh, but I, I love the opportunity. I'm, I'm always honored to have an opportunity to share uh, and teach the word. And so I'm excited about that today. And as I dug into scripture, I found a depth in a verse that I've never really studied into an emotion that all of us feel, that I pray that today God comes and brings us comfort. And so last week, Pastor Corey started looking at these kingdom values that are listed in Matthew chapter 5 that we sometimes call the Beatitudes. And they're this list of eight or nine different blessed statements. And Jesus makes these statements at the very beginning of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. So last week, Pastor Corey covered blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And today we're going to look at the next verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, which says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
And we're going to dig in exactly what that means and what Jesus may have been talking about when he gave this Sermon on the Mount. But before we jump into Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, I want to point something out that uh, a scholar that I've been studying under named Scott McKnight pointed out to me recently. I've been, I was in a class in September, and uh, Scott McKnight is a New Testament scholar who, who's written many different books, one of which is called The Jesus Creed. I would highly recommend that you pick that up and read that, how Jesus... Uh, praise the Shema, and also adds to that, love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, he has a blog that he publishes on every day called the Jesus Creed. And uh, he made a profound observation to me that I've never seen in Scripture. And that's why he's been studying this, the, the Gospels for 30 years. And that's why he teaches other people how to read the Scriptures. And I want to share that with you today because for me, it opened up this world that I think that we often neglect to see as modern Bible readers. Let me explain. You see, we, we so easily are enticed by chapters and verses in our Bibles that are in our modern Bibles today that we often neglect the context in which Scripture actually appears. So I want to I point out what Scott McKnight pointed out to me, that Matthew brilliantly structures his gospel, particularly Matthew's gospel beginning at chapter 4, what we know is chapter 4, verse 23, and ending in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, is that Matthew sets things up and he brilliantly, in his literary context of the story of Jesus, as he's gathering all these stories about Jesus, he's organizing them. That's a, it's a very different organization than Mark's gospel, than Luke's gospel, than John's gospel. And we have these four gospels to give us these different ways of looking at Jesus. And Matthew has a very intentional way of telling us who Jesus is. And he sets it up very intentionally as well. And it's brilliant. And so in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, before Jesus begins to speak what we know as a Sermon on the Mount, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 2, Matthew gives us this statement. And he says this, And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the what? Say it real loud. The kingdom. Jesus was preaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so Matthew starts here. He starts with the birth of Jesus and he connects it in chapter one back to Abraham and the long ago promises. He talks about how Jesus is born and then Jesus is tempted and he's baptized. And now Jesus is beginning his public ministry and Matthew begins with this first bookend. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, if you skip ahead, if you have a physical Bible here, or if you scroll down to Matthew chapter 9, one book in at 423, there's going to be another book in at 935. If you put these two things together, you would think that you were reading the same verse, and I promise you they're different verses. Matthew writes this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the what? Kingdom. And healing every disease and affliction. You catch what Matthew's doing there. He's repeating the same phrase in 423 as he is in 935, and he's doing this intentionally. These are bookends to what takes place between those two verses. And Matthew sets up the structure of whatever's in between these two bookends, from Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, he sets them up in two different organizational patterns based on what he says in these two bookends. And so Jesus is doing two things in these bookends that he repeats, almost verbatim. Jesus is 
teaching in their synagogues, and he's proclaiming the kingdom. That's the first thing that Jesus is doing. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God, and the second thing that Jesus is doing, he's healing every disease and every affliction. And so when Matthew structures the content of this gospel between these two bookends, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it's Jesus teaching about the kingdom. It's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is giving all kinds of things. He gives the Beatitudes. He talks about how salt and light of the earth. He teaches us how to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He talks about reinterpreting the law through how he sees it as the Son of God. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God above all else and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That takes place in 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. What's the second thing Jesus was doing? He was healing every disease and affliction. And Matthew, and if you read chapter 8 and 9 of Matthew, there are nine different episodes of Jesus healing people. Matthew just stacks all these healing stories up against each other. And he's making it very clear that the kingdom of God is about proclaiming, but also about healing. And Jesus is doing both of these things, and it gets even better. If you keep reading the story of, in, in Matthew's gospel, I would encourage you to read 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 later today if you have time. But in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus in 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 has taught about the kingdom. He's healed people. He's healed every disease and affliction. And then he tells the disciples, he gathers them to himself, and he says, now I give you authority to go heal every, heal every affliction, every disease. Matthew repeats the same phrase. Jesus now tells his disciples to go to this, and he also tells his disciples, go proclaim the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. And so Jesus, as Matthew sets it up, does all these things, and he models what exactly the kingdom is all about. He teaches about it. He brings the kingdom through healing, and now he tells the disciples, go do the same thing. And Jesus invites us, as we pledge allegiance to the king, to be a part of his kingdom work, making his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, by the way that we live our lives. That's the context of Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to look at today, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. And I think sometimes we've, we neglect to see those literary markers that Mark is very, Matthew is very intentional about setting this up for us. And I hope that gives you some greater understanding of what's going on in Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. But we're going to focus today on Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. And I want us just to listen to the Beatitudes all together, and then we're going to focus on one Beatitude, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So hear what Jesus says and what Matthew tells us Jesus was doing Beginning in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Matthew writes this, and Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the, the what? The kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought all the sick to him, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on a mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to them. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all things, all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets, you who were before you. It's interesting if you look at how many times Jesus uses that word kingdom. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's at least eight times. In Matthew's gospel, kingdom is used over 50 times by itself to reference the kingdom of God. So today we're going to dig into what it looks like to be a part of this kingdom, how you and I can be a part of it, and how God wants to comfort us as we mourn. So before we do that, let's pray together, and then we'll dig in. God, we give you thanks and praise for your word, that we have access to it today, that we have the the intellectual ability and the mental capacity to understand your revelation more than that, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, to convict us of sin, who inspired people like Matthew to write these stories about Jesus that are true and for us. And so, God, we pray that your Spirit would come and speak to us, would our minds be open, our hearts be attentive, and may we be in step with your Spirit as we long to hear your living word today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So as I said earlier, we're going to focus on Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, when Jesus says this in his list of Beatitudes. This, isn't, this is not a list of characteristics like we talked about earlier this summer. Remember, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, if, if you have any uh, unity with the Spirit, then make my joy compete, complete by having all these fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, etc., Jesus isn't making a moral or ethical list here in the Beatitudes. He's basically just saying that God chooses to bless those whom he wants to bless, and it's interesting because all these people on this list are people that society of that day would not choose to even acknowledge. These were people who were hopeless, those who mourn, those who are poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. There's nothing that they did, and I don't think Jesus is telling us in this list, hey, go do what you can do to mourn. Go make yourself poor because that's how you receive God's blessing. No, I don't think Jesus is saying that at all. I think Jesus is saying God chooses to bless people like this because of their heart toward him. See, if we're real honest, I think most of us in this room have been mourning this year. All of us in our life, we experience mourning or grief or sorrow or sadness that some point in our life, it's part of what it means to be alive. But more than any other year, I think 2020 captures for us this sense of mourning and grieving and sorrow that is is experienced wider than ourselves. it's experienced wider than our nation, it's experienced on a global level, is that all of us are grieving, we're all mourning. You see, this past year, because of COVID-19, it's literally changed the way that we live our lives. We're now distanced from people. We're now asked to wear masks, and some of us don't like being told to wear masks. 
Life has changed. Life is not normal. And most of us, I would say all of us, whether we admit this or not, we're mourning the loss of normal. We're mourning the way that things should have been or used to be. Or, and by now, I think most of us are mourning, why are we still in this? Right? It's Thanksgiving. We started this in March. And by now, this should have been over. And most of us are mourning this loss that life is not normal as we know it. Some of us may be mourning the loss of a loved one that, that died because of COVID-19. Hundreds of thousands of people have died because of this disease, this virus. And many more are mourning the death of a loved one. Some of us are mourning the loss of plans, right? We plan things. We had summer vacations. We had all these dreams that we hoped to accomplish this year. All that 2020 was meant to be probably were dashed. Parents, you're mourning. Maybe you're mourning that your kids are now at home for these next two weeks, right? And you've got to try to figure out how do I work from home? How do my kids be focused at school? Some of us are mourning just the loss of routine, the loss of a job because your employer no longer has the means to pay you for your job. We're losing income. We've lost the security that we once had. We've lost our social connections and we're mourning the social connections that this distance and isolation creates because there's a fear that is within us that if I get too close or if I go here, I could get exposed. Some of you at home watching right now are maybe mourning and lamenting the fact that you've been contact traced or you're in quarantine or you have COVID-19. We're all mourning something. We have grief, we have sadness, and, and it seems like things are not fair. Mourning is this expression of sadness that things are unjust, things are not right. As a result of, of a, a situation or a circumstance of an affliction that we all often feel is unjust or unfair or isn't right. So if you're watching online, I would encourage you just put in the chat wherever you're at, what are you mourning right now? What are you mourning in this, in this season of the, this pandemic season of, tw of 2020, of which COVID-19 is wreaking havoc on our globe? We could all share stories of things that we're mourning in this room. One of the things that I'm mourning, uh, that I, I think I'm, I was aware of, but I'm getting increasingly more aware of this, is Liz and I just had our second son in September. And our parents have not been able to see our son, Micah, because of COVID-19. There's no way that they're going to travel to Montana to come see their grandson, even though I know that they long to see him, to hold him. Right? And that's, that's just a little thing compared to people who are experiencing actual death of people in this pandemic. But we're all experiencing this morning. It's across the board. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we're aware of it or whether someday we will be aware of it, in our life we will experience mourning, grief, sorrow, sadness. We've maybe done it in the past with the loss of a loved one. We could be doing that right now in the midst of a pandemic and most likely, we will be experiencing sorrow and grief and mourning in the future. So in order to navigate this, we're going to answer three questions this morning. What does mourning look like? We're going to look in and dig into Matthew 5, verse 4, and Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I want to give us three questions that I think arise naturally from this passage of Scripture, this verse. 
that I think will help us understand exactly what mourning is. And so the first question is this, why do we mourn? We've already answered this question a little bit, but why do we mourn? Why do we grieve? Why do we experience sadness? Why do we experience loss? And why do we react in such a way? I want to give us three answers to this question that I think arise out of Scripture. When most of us think about mourning, when we read this, these words of Jesus, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, I would say most likely what first comes to your mind is this personal affliction. Is that we mourn because we have personal affliction. Something, some circumstance of life, some situation has caused us to have, to have loss and grief and sorrow whether that's the death of a loved one, whether that's the elimination of a job, whether that's the destruction of a natural disaster that's taken place, whether that's the hurt that was caused by someone else, whether that's the loss of a dream that never came to fruition, or whether you have expectations that will never be met. We all mourn, and we mourn different things. But mourning is a part of our lives today. In the Old Testament, mourning was expressed outwardly very different than i think we express mourning and sadness and grief and sorrow in our own culture today if you read the pages of the old testament you see that over and over and over again when someone is mourning they typically did a number of outward expressions they tore their clothes they ripped their clothes apart they took ashes and they put them on their head and they began to weep and wail out loud in a way that I think is unimaginable to our modern culture today. They would do all these things to express sorrow and grief and sadness, and they would let other people know about exactly what was happening. And you can read this in a number of different passages in Scripture, but I pointed out in your notes page that in 1 Samuel chapter 13, there are some events that take place in David's life and his family that are, that are utterly evil. There is a, there's a girl who is raped. There is vengeance with death as a result of what happened there. And in both of those situations, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, of hurt and pain, the response of people involved in that, they are rip their clothes, they put ash on their head, they wail and they moan and they cry out to God and they say, this is not right. This is not right. And I think for many of us, as we experience personal affliction, we get this feeling that this is unfair, whether it's a death, the untimely death of a loved one, like we wanted more years with them. We wanted more time. It's not right that they're gone. It's not fair. Why are they gone? And we begin to have these questions. And you know what? God's not immune to those tough questions. God can handle those tough questions. One of the avenues that I wanted to explore with this, but given time, I don't, I don't have time to go in here, but I just want to drop this here, is that Scripture teaches us how to mourn and how to do it properly. And we see this through what are known as the Psalms of Lament. And so in your notes page, under each of these three items of how we mourn, why do we mourn, there's a psalm that connects to this. You see, the Psalms are this expression of worship toward God, and one of the most prominent forms of a psalm is a lament. When the psalmist takes up and begins to cry out, how long, O God, will you stand distant from me? Why do you not answer my cry? Why do you feel so distant? These people are doing this to me. This has happened in my life. And the psalmist cries out over and over again. You can see Psalm 13 here is noted with this personal affliction. 
is that God can handle us crying out to him and saying that, God, this doesn't make sense. This isn't fair. You seem distant as part of our mourning and our grief. And I, and I think that's natural for us. And to learn to do that with God, I think, is healthy. And God in all of his comfort can come and he can comfort us in a way that no one else can. The second way that I think that we mourn is that we mourn because of national and communal affliction. So not just personal affliction, but national and communal affliction. We remember, if you were alive on September 11, 2001, where you were at. And the national mourning that we experienced as a, as a country around the events that took place in New York City with the World Trade Centers. If you were of a previous generation, you probably remember where you were at when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Those types of national events that are tragic, that create mourning and grief, bring people together in that mourning. And the same was the case in Jesus' day. You see, when Jesus gave this Sermon on the Mount, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, they were mourning. They were mourning the fact that they were under Roman oppression and their mourning and their oppression was throughout their history. If you read the, the pages of the Bible, right? They were in slavery in Egypt and they lamented and they cried out to God, God, come and save us for 400 years until God sent Moses. And then Moses rescued them by God's help and led them into the wilderness and they started to complain and wail and mourn that they weren't where they wanted to be, right? They get to the promised land God sends spies into the land and it's not good enough. They didn't trust God enough and so they mourned that they, that they would die in the wilderness for 40 years. And then in their sin, when they get into the new land, they begin to worship other gods and God says, because of your sin, I'm gonna hand you over to these foreign political leaders and they're gonna come and they're gonna capture you and they're gonna pillage you and they're gonna destroy the city of Jerusalem and they're gonna take you to Babylon and you're gonna be in exile for 70 years and in that movement of the story of Israel and the Jewish people and what God is doing, there's always this movement and longing that things are not right because there's always an oppression. There's always an exile. There's always something that's not right and they're always mourning and crying out to God, God, come and make it right. And there's always a trust and belief that God will eventually make it right. And you can read Psalm 74 for a communal lament song later on today if you'd, if you'd like. Lastly, I think we mourn because of a conviction of sin. So not only do we mourn personal affliction, but communal and national affliction as well, but we mourn, we see mourning in Scripture based on a grieving of the heart of God in our own heart by our own personal sin or communal sin. I don't know if you've ever grieved, been grieving, or expressed mourning or sorrow for the things that you've done compared to God's standard. What happens a lot in Scripture 2 Kings chapter 22, a king named Josiah. They're just doing their business. Being, he's just being a king. And they, they find in the temple a Bible that they forgot, that they neglected. How do you neglect the scripture that gives you identity as a nation? And they did. And someone finds it and brings it to Josiah. And Josiah, King Josiah's first reaction is to mourn. And so he rips his clothes. He puts ashes on his head. He calls the people to mourn together for what they've lost. This was God's standard, and they failed it miserably. And the same is true of King David in his episode with Bathsheba and the subsequent death of her husband Uriah. The prophet Nathan comes to him and says, David, you've gone way too far outside God's standard. 
And David laments. He mourns. He grieves his own sin. And he writes a psalm. Psalm 51. You can read it. It's David's lament. David's mourning about his own sin. God, come and cleanse me with hyssop. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, David says. And maybe... God is calling us today to mourn some of our own personal sins or national sins. But in Scripture, we see this. You see, mourning and grief and sadness, they're all part of this, what it means to live in this world. Each of us experience it in different ways. We share, show grief, we express mourning. And it naturally leads us to this next question that arises from this verse in Matthew chapter four, 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And the question is this, where do we seek comfort? Where do we seek comfort? We have a, a son, it's our, our first son, his name is Judah. And uh, Judah's here today, he's in the back, he was crying a little earlier and I was trying to focus, get past that. But Judah, he is named after Jacob's blessing to his son Judah in Genesis chapter 49. And Jacob says to Judah, you will be like a young lion. And my prayer for Judah is that he's a strong man of God. But he has a lion. His sister got him this stuffed lion last Christmas. And Judah always has this lion with him. And there's a picture of Judah up here on the screen. I think it's coming with his lion. There he is. So there's Judah and his stuffed lion, and uh, whenever Judah gets hurt, whenever he has an affliction, whenever there's something wrong with him, the very first thing that Judah wants is he wants lion. He wants lion to come and bring him comfort. And so he cries out, lion, lion. And he wants lion to come and comfort him. What he does, he takes lion and he puts lion on top of whatever body part is hurting him. So there was a time this past March when, uh, when it was a great day outside. We'd been cooped up all winter, and he was outside playing. It was come, time to come in for dinner, and Judah didn't want to come in. And when Judah doesn't want to do something, he just falls down. And I had a hold of his arm when he fell down. And uh, something happened. I knew something happened. And he came in, and he couldn't move his arm. And the very first thing is he wanted lion, and he put lion right on his arm. We took him to the ER, and apparently this is very common in young children, is he had what's called a nursemaid's elbow. So his elbow was actually dislocated, and before I knew it, the ER doctor put it back in place, but the whole time that Judah was in the ER, he was clutching Lion the whole time, and he would put it on his arm and try to, try to get Lion to make it better, even though Lion couldn't do that, but that was his comfort. And just like my son Judah has this lion to comfort him. You and I also seek things out to bring us comfort in our pain. We seek things out to bring us comfort in our pain. You see, we as Americans, we're obsessed with comfort. We, and we seek comfort at all costs, whatever the cost. Whether we get comfort from Southern Comfort or any other alcoholic beverage, whether we Get it from comfort food. I mean, who doesn't want a warm bowl of mac and cheese or greasy pizza to, to help overcome the sorrows of a long week or a long day, right? 
And most often we seek out that comfort in the comfort of our own living room, on our own comfortable couch, in our comfy clothes, in our comfort zone. We're obsessed with comfort. And oftentimes we seek it in other places. And those places are often lacking. And so here's the big idea for today. That if you take anything away from this morning, I hope you take this away. You see, in our morning, we're going to experience mourning in life. We're going to experience sadness and grief and sorrow and mourning. When we do, we often seek anything to comfort us temporarily. But only Jesus truly comforts us both now and forever. Only Jesus comforts us both now and forever. Despite our obsession with comfort, and I'm just as guilty of this as anybody else, I I enjoy comfort. I want comfort food. But rarely do I seek Jesus in my own comfort. For Jesus to bring comfort that I can find nowhere else. You see, Jesus' mission was to bring comfort. His mission was to bring comfort to those who mourn. There's an interesting story that's recorded in Luke's gospel in chapter 4. Jesus is, almost like Matthew's gospel, started his earthly ministry, and Jesus winds up in a church service similar to this at a synagogue. And in that synagogue setting, someone would stand up and they would read the scriptures out loud. And Jesus stood up and someone handed him the scroll of Isaiah. And in this scroll of Isaiah, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And Jesus opens this scroll, wherever it's at, to Isaiah chapter 61. Remember, he's, he's in the synagogue. He's telling people, the Jewish people who are under oppression, they've been in exile forever and ever. And Jesus reads this scroll from Isaiah. And listen to what Jesus reads from Isaiah chapter 61. He says this, or the scripture says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who, what? Mourn. Jesus said, I've I've come to comfort those who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And when Jesus reads this from Isaiah, what we know as Isaiah 61, from the Isaiah scroll, he hands it back to the attendant, and he says, this very day this scripture was fulfilled in your presence. And he says, this is my mission, to bring comfort to those who mourn, to take away your ashes that symbolize mourning, to give you beauty instead of ashes. We sang about this today in one of our songs. To give you an oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of your garments of mourning. Jesus' job and his mission was to bring comfort to those who mourn because mourning is a part of life. And he experienced that morning. Lastly, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to help us understand that even though he, he's, he is not here with us presently, the Holy Spirit is with us. In John chapter 14, verse 16, it says this, the Holy Spirit is the comforter. Jesus is talking to his disciples and Jesus says that I will ask the Father 
And he will give you another helper, a comforter, to be with you forever. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, the very same Greek word that's used in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, about those who mourn will be comforted, is the very same title for the Holy Spirit, the comforter. And so the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, will comfort us right now. But that comfort doesn't just happen now, it will happen eventually in the future. And so here's a question for all of us. How are we trusting and turning to Jesus for comfort today? How are we trusting and turning to Jesus for comfort today? We mourn because we have personal affliction or national affliction or we have affliction of our conviction of sin. We seek other things to find comfort in this life, but only Jesus brings us eternal comfort. But why are those who mourn blessed? Why are those who mourn blessed? The blessed person is one who trusts in Jesus and turns to Jesus. If you remember that structure of Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. So I was reading these healing stories this week. It was just fascinating to me to connect all these dots. Is that all those people in those healing stories, whether it was a demon-possessed man, whether it was someone who couldn't talk, someone who couldn't walk, someone who was lying on their deathbed, someone who died, All these people came to Jesus. Six of the nine people came to Jesus themselves. They began to follow Jesus. They sought after him. Three of the other people were brought to them, brought to Jesus by their friends. Comfort is found in Jesus when we trust him and when we seek him. So in the season of COVID-19 or whatever morning that you're experiencing, what are you seeking for comfort? And Jesus calls, come and turn to me and trust me. And the comfort may not look like what we want right now. It may not be immediate. In our our world where we expect immediate results, sometimes comfort is delayed, although we have the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. The writer of Revelation, John, has this vision about the very end of time. There's a different worldview that this narrative of Scripture has that Jesus, even though his kingdom is coming in right now, it's not fully here. The reign of God is not fully now. We're waiting until Jesus comes back one day. And John has this vision of Jesus at the very end of time coming back. And listen to what John says in Revelation chapter 21. It's it's basically the end of your Bible. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the new holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice coming from the throne, from the throne where the king sits. He heard a loud voice, and the loud voice was saying this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them forever, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from every eye. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be no mourning, no crying, no pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. We long for that day when Jesus returns and all things will be made new and mourning and sadness and tears will all disappear because the king conquers death, mourning, sorrow, affliction. But that will be one day. But you and I live in this in-between stage. Yes, Jesus has come. He may be king of our lives, but he's not king of all in all yet. 
Everything's not been placed under his feet, and yet we still experience sorrow and sadness and mourning. And so how do we find blessing in the midst of our mourning whenever we mourn, whenever we grieve? As we turn and we trust in Jesus, we invite the Holy Spirit to come and comfort us wherever we're at. So I don't know what you're going through today. My hunch is, is that all of us are mourning at some level and that all of us are in need of someone to come and comfort us. And we may search for temporary comfort, but only Jesus, by his spirit, gives us lasting and forever comfort. Seek him today. Turn to him. Trust him. I want to invite you to do that as we prepare for communion. If you want to grab your little to-go communion cups and get those ready, we're going to sing a song with the band. I'm going to invite you to respond however you feel is appropriate. Maybe you just need to have some time alone with God in silence, to mourn to God and ask God, where are you in this season? Why did this happen? This isn't fair. This isn't just. God, why did you abandon me? Because you know what? Jesus entered into the sorrow and the pain and the death of humanity. When we take this bread and this juice, we remember the death of Jesus, and Jesus entered into the sorrow in the morning as he prayed in the garden. And he said, God, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go to the cross, but if it's your will, let it be done. And even on the cross, he laments, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet he trusts fully in God when he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he prayed and then he died. We remember that death, that Jesus entered in fully into our sorrow and our mourning. And I can only imagine the heart of the father was also grieved as his son hung on the cross. But it was for the benefit of the entire world. And it was only through the mourning of the cross that there could be the gladness and the joy of Resurrection Sunday. So as you respond, I'd encourage you, cry out to God. Seek him, prepare your hearts for communion. We're gonna sing these songs. The band's gonna lead us if you wanna sing. If you wanna stand, great. If you need to sit in silence, do that. But I'll come up after two courses and we'll take this together. So let's respond to God however you feel appropriate.
night before Jesus faced the cross, he gathered his disciples to celebrate a meal together. And he gave them this very simple way of remembering what he was about to do for all of us, even today. And he took a piece of bread and he held it up and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And whenever you eat this, remember, remember me. So this morning as we partake in communion, take and eat Christ's body which was broken for you. And at the end of the meal, he took a cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is in my blood, shed for you. And he knew that what was going to happen on the cross was just coming. And he says, whenever you drink this, remember me. So take and drink the life of Jesus poured out for you by his blood. Jesus tells his disciples, whenever you do this, the bread and the juice to remember me, you, you proclaim his death until he comes. We proclaim his death, that death does not have the final word, and we're waiting for a day when Jesus will return to make all things new and all things right and to wipe away every tear and every pain and all mourning. But until then, we trust and we turn to Jesus to pray that today God comforts you in the comfort that you can only experience in him. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks and praise for Jesus that you entered fully into what it means to be human, into the depths of our emotions that we experience, into pain and sadness and sorrow and deep grief that we can't even express. And God, you entered into the isolation and abandonment of death and as you hung on that cross and you, you looked up to God the Father and asked, why have you abandoned me? God, Jesus knew exactly what, what it means to mourn and to die. So God, wherever we're at today in the midst of our mourning or our grief or our sorrow, whether that's because of COVID, whether that's because of a loss of a loved one or whether that's because of a present circumstance or a past hurt, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and be the comforter that we need. That the Holy Spirit would soothe the wounds of the past that it would restore what was lost, that it would be, begin the process of making all things new. God, that you would bring comfort, that you would speak words of encouragement, that you would strengthen our spirits, that you would help us not to lose heart, that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus in the midst of a storm that rages around us. And so, God, we give you praise and thanks that you are our comforter. We turn and we trust you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we finish singing this song about the resurrection of Jesus and the role of the church that we play to bring the kingdom here now? Let's sing. Thanks so much for listening to the Harvest Springs podcast. Our hope is that you hear the truth of God's word and that you are encouraged and challenged by it. If you would like to take your faith journey to the next level, check out the Getting Started plan on our mobile app or our website, harvestsprings.com. The Getting Started Plan is a seven-day, video-based teaching that will help you start your relationship with Jesus off in the right direction. And if there's anything that we can do to help, just fill out a connection card on our website or on the mobile app.